0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of the Journal of Applied Ecology, where we put applied ecology into practice. My name is Mark Cadot, Senior Editor of the Journal. The Journal will use this format to bring you conversations with the authors of some of our exciting new papers. Here I'll ask the authors questions about their recent work and get them to talk about the management relevance of their research. I'm here today with Jeremy James from the Sierra Foothills Research and Extension Center, University of California. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for speaking with me.
1: Happy to be here.
0: So in your recent paper published in the Journal of Applied Ecology, which also happens to be the editor's choice in the June issue, you're taking a systems approach to restoring degraded drylands. This paper focuses on drylands, but I want to have you tell us, what exactly are drylands, and why do we need to be concerned about their restoration? Sure,
1: that's a really great question. And um, there are different definitions of drylands available. the main thinking with this paper um, are systems that tend to be primarily limited by water availability, uh, but of course can be limited by multiple resources, uh, fairly stressful conditions um, that really limit the rate of ecosystem recovery following disturbance. And as we know, um, dry lands on a um, footprint wise are, are a huge component of of the earth and in fact, a substantial portion of the population globally depends on the functioning and health of these systems. So um, you in, given sort of their low rate of ecosystem recovery and the large amount of people that depend on the health of these systems, we thought it was particularly important to examine uh, these systems.
0: And in your paper, you make the claim that restoration success has been low in drylands. And why is that?
1: Low success rates, um, we think intuitively, are probably driven by multiple factors that differ depending on the system you're in and the um, particular conditions of, of the sites. Generally, if we think about low precipitation systems, arid systems, dry land systems, high abiotic stress, um, low overall resource availability, and really substantial uh, variation in those resource supply rates. So I think as just a a broad brush, that would be kind of the uh, main reason we have a huge amount of trouble restoring degraded dry land systems. Of course, as you get into specific situations, you could be talking from salt stress, high pH, low moisture, low nutrient availability, wind abrasion, herbivory, uh, multitude of factors. So it makes the problems obviously complex and challenging, but also probably a strong unifying theme across dryland systems.
0: And so do different restoration projects have the same endpoint in mind, or do different projects try to maximize different facets?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, um, I think, again, just on a basic level, there are different restoration goals depending on the particular situation um, and management objectives. Um, I think often we're really looking at trying to recover healthy, diverse, functioning plant communities. You know, we know plants as our primary producers um, have an overriding control on energy flows, uh, trophic interactions, and so forth. So um, that's probably a fairly common um, denominator across restoration projects. But in some cases, uh, maybe simply just trying to maximize native plant biomass to stabilize soils. Um, Other efforts may actually be concerns with recovering um, culturally important or plants, uh, specific trophic interactions or specific levels of diversity.
0: In your paper, you advocate what is essentially a new approach to restoration in drylands and you use what's called a systems framework. Can you briefly describe to the listener what you mean by a systems framework?
1: Sure um, systems framework and and again um, it's easy to get a little hung up on um, terminology and definitions. But if we generally look at the, the literature, um, systems frameworks are um, process-based models that usually have some sort of hierarchical linkages um, across models where we could link one set of process processes to other processes. And the main idea here is that as we are able to develop models that are process-based mechanistic and quantitative. So this general category of systems models, um, we have an improved ability to uh, really forecast model outcomes and do it in a way that gives us some sort of distribution of possible outcomes. And as we talk about in in the paper, um, getting to this quantitative position with systems models or quantitative models that um, link processes um, is hugely important if we're going to begin to monetize um, the costs and benefits of restoration. And really what we're looking for is is these, the ability of models to develop some distribution or some quantitative distribution of what the restoration outcome might look like instead of categorical predictions or forecasts. Trying to put some quantitative values um, uh, on what our management actions might actually produce. So that's the general theme with the systems models.
0: In the restoration model presented in your paper, which I think is an excellent example of how different aspects of plant population growth can be affected by different processes and management practices, and I'm wondering, with your experience with restoration in drylands, what are some of those processes that have major consequences? For restoration success
1: All right that's a really intriguing question and really um, if, as we look at kind of the baseline preliminary data um, that question really motivated kind of the development of this paper and and some synthesis of ideas and we've been seeing i guess for the last four or five years of data collection in the united states so this is the sagebrush steppe, step intermountain continental cool deserts cold deserts um shows a lot of similarity to other cold deserts across the globe. Um, what we were finding from a, a plant population perspective is that many of the important native grasses in these systems year after year consistently showed very high germination. So the seed that the restoration practitioners were putting back into the soil, the native seed um, that were being incorporated into the soil were um In most years germinating quite well. So that's basically just producing a radical and initiating some sort of of biological growth. You know, we're we're seeing rates 70 to 80 percent for most species in most years, which is which is really good. If if we keep tracking the fate of those seeds though, what we were seeing is that in almost all years, particularly for our native plants, less than five percent of that germinated seed. Emerge from the soil, so there's huge mortality over maybe a two month period um, that occurred after these seeds had germinated, but before they had emerged, so put a coleoptile up above the soil surface. We did see from just a population perspective, once that coleoptile had emerged from the soil surface, and these are grasses again, um, long-term survival is quite good, you know eighty to ninety percent in most sites, most species. And so this really, of course, encouraged us to ask the question, well, what's going on during this very early life stage process? And what are the consequences for, for a period where mortality is that high? From a management perspective, if you can understand what's going on and then improve that by 5 or 10%, you may have drastically positive effects on, on what that restoration trajectory looks like versus sort of the baseline scenario Um, so this really encouraged us and and provided a rational platform for understanding the ecological processes that are going on very early in these systems that influence plant population dynamics and what we could look at management wise actually overcome uh, those environmental conditions that are limiting population growth
0: okay so it seems like this systems framework offers a valuable and powerful approach to assessing restoration success and the impact of different management practices. How do you think, then, that this framework will be used to assess restoration in other drylands or even in other types of ecosystems? Sure, that's an excellent
1: question. And in all honesty, it's a little hard to project um, what the potential implications or the full implications are going to be for using systems frameworks um, and other dryland systems and other restorations in general. I think the thing that is probably most important from my perspective is that we at least um, continue to have the conversation between researchers and practitioners about exactly what sort of data and experiments we need to begin to understand how particular systems functions. And, Again, as as ecologists and and sort of fundamental scientists, you know, we we tend to want to strive towards generality um, and development of, of principles and, and science and, and restoration in particular. And it's sometimes, I mean, even from my own personal perspective, hard to pull back a little bit and and get into sort of the nitty gritty functions of particular systems and advocate for learning those nuances well enough to be able to map the system model the system and ultimately make um, this understanding usable and, and effective for a practitioner um, so from even dryland system the dryland system we know that the management objectives are going to differ the data um, and modeling are going to differ. And we're going to need, obviously, a whole um, different suite of understanding and and sort of data coming out of particular research projects. Um, So I guess if we're going to talk about one of the uh, challenges with systems approaches is that they are data intensive. They take time. And, of course, the solutions they generate are um, really geared towards a a particular restoration scenario or system. Um, I think there's value, of course, both ways in understanding both general aspects of how ecosystems function and, and restoration pathways and also getting into the details that ultimately a practitioner needs to make um, meaningful changes in restoration outcomes. So I think having that overall conversation and just recognizing um, that there is sort of an intermediate role that we probably need to get to in many situations where we understand enough about models or or system specificity to be able to understand how these important processes interact and impact management outcomes. And of course do it in a general enough fashion where we can, you know, this is basically an efficient applied ecology effort you know if if we have to tease apart every single situation and model every single restoration uh, project that's obviously not going to happen and it's not an efficient use of time or resources so i think finding that sweet spot where we are getting good rain uh, bang for our rest our research dollar and research time um, but also generating meaningful and, and usable. Uh, findings that practitioners can can ultimately run with is going to be the challenge but again also the opportunity in kind of merging um kind of these conceptual models with some very specific um, system driven questions
0: jeremy this has been an interesting discussion of your paper and about uh, restoration in drylands and about applying the systems framework i want to thank you for your time and for speaking with me today thanks a lot
1: Really enjoyed the time. Thank
0: you. This is Mark Cadot of the Journal of Applied Ecology, where we put applied ecology into practice. Until next time, so long.